it is really great to be gathered with you, you who are physically present here and you who are online and able to join us, um, even though we have capacity limits and things like that, that's not just the number of pews in the church. I was thinking as I was sitting there just now that for some of you, the last time I was with you is when I married you. Or the last time I was with you in this room is when you witnessed a baptism with me in December. Or the last time I was with you was over a year ago. And how wonderful it is to be gathered in a space that has had and held so many special moments for so many of God's people over many years. We are continuing on in our journey through First Peter this summer. And if you missed last week, or if, being honest, you forgot all about it by Tuesday, uh, that's okay. And I'm so glad that you're with us again today, or for the first time today. We're still in early days in First Peter, and Peter has been calling the church to live a life as exiles in this world. Last Sunday, we heard about how we are, in fact, an exilic community with a purpose. We read how we are not alone, how our wanderings are not aimless. As a consequence of these truths, Peter encourages us to be behave well toward one another, that we may grow into our salvation, grow into our salvation together as living stones being built into a spiritual house that we might together proclaim the mighty acts of him who called us. Now, I'm going to go against the tech team's advice and rotate this. So I'm really facing mostly the people who are gathered and the people online will get sort of more of a profile shot. This week, the passage we heard um, begins a transition, a transition away from how we ought to behave among each other as that exilic community, as that group of misfits, outcasts, foreigners, and strangers those people who we together call the church. And now we begin to talk about how we ought to be perceived by those around us. Now this book, like all books in the Bible, are written, is written from an Eastern cultural perspective. And for those of us who are familiar with Eastern cultures, we might also be familiar with the concept of face. This comes from an honor-shame society, and face is synonymous with reputation, honor, prestige, respect. So it is from that cultural context, writing to people who would be very familiar with these things, that Peter says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that they, though they malign you as evildoers, may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes. Now, at first listen, that might sound like a very reasonable thing to say. It might even sound like the kind of thing one would expect to hear in that cultural context. But today's text is a deeply subversive text. You're going to hear that on a number of levels as we walk through it together. And Peter isn't simply reinforcing cultural norms here. Rather, he is taking them and he's using them to drive people towards a much better and truer goal than simply saving face. Far from saving face for themselves, the call for these exiles 
in a world that is not their own, and within an empire that blamed them for all kinds of evil, was simply to bring honor to God. It's not to bring honor to themselves, to bring honor to their families. Their goal is simply to bring honor to God. This should be the purpose of our lives. And, this, and the way that we live ought to be a testimony about God's greatness. So what does Peter say living this honorable life should look like? The first thing he mentions is the political sphere our relationship with the state. Having suggested that we are not citizens of the places that we now call home, but rather exiles until we are restored to that better country where God reigns, how is it that we should relate to these places that we know now? Should we no longer care about them at all, shrugging off their many calls on our lives as irrelevant to us? Not at all, suggests Peter. Rather, he writes, for the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme or of governors as sent by the emperor to punish those who do wrong and praise those who do right. It's interesting to me that this is the text on our first Sunday, having people gathered at 11 a.m. in over 15 months. Because this last year in the church seems to have been a battle of Christians posturing about this verse, accept the authority of every human institution, and saying that every human institution surely also includes the government of Ontario and Toronto Public Health, and other Christians pitching against another scripture from Hebrews, which says, let us not neglect meeting together as some have made a habit. And the church has just quarreled about these two verses. How is it that we should hold these things together? Clearly, our church believed we could do both well, that we could meet together in new ways and continue at the same time to accept the authority of human institutions. Not all churches have arrived at the same conclusion, and many theological debates have ensued as a result. But if we consider the point of Peter's urging to accept human authority, I think that it becomes much more clear what his focus is. He writes, accept the authority of every human institution, for it is God's will that by doing right you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. We've all read the headlines, haven't we? Calgary pastor arrested, or 66K in new fines for church after second contempt ruling. These are the actions of people who believe that as exiles in this world and given freedom in Christ, we can use that freedom however we see fit. I suppose that we can. That is, after all, the nature of freedom. But it is not the call of Christ. Rather, we have been invited to participate in the unfolding and the revealing of God's will, to choose, even as foreigners and exiles, to live in this world in such a way that it directs all those around us who do not yet know the wisdom of the gospel to hear that good news and to truly believe I'm not convinced 
that those headlines have silenced the ignorance of the foolish. Rather, I think it has emboldened it. The comment sections in each of these articles shows what a poor witness to our world behavior which is flagrantly disregarding of all human authority actually is. To use language of face, the church has lost a lot of face over these last several months because of those who have chosen to behave in these ways. The church in persecution cannot be so bold as to gather in such large groups, but must do so in secret, in small cells. And yet some in Canada believe that unless we gather by the hundreds, we somehow shirk our duties and fail to gather together at all. This is not devotion to the gospel. Rather, it is a rebellious spirit. A rebellious spirit which, in the name of freedom, causes harm to the work of the church in the world. There are times, certainly, when the church must choose to disobey, to choose to worship if it is not permitted to in any way at all, but it is not to insist on gathering in such large numbers. That, instead, is more the voice of entitled privilege and not, as they would have us believe, of persecution. But even still, once more, the meaning of this text is not simply that we must obey the emperor. Rather, the true meaning of this portion of the text is once again found in a subtle subversion. Subversion is difficult. It's painstaking and nuanced work. Because subversive talk, it usually sounds fine. It must sound fine because it is spoken out loud in a place where it is dangerous to go against the norm. But upon closer inspection, there's always something out of place, something perhaps that undermines the assumed meaning entirely. And I'm afraid that the NIV translation which we heard this morning obscures this instance of subversion because verse 17 should read in this way, honor everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Honor is used twice. It is the exact same word which is used in each instance. There's this building. If this was a seminary class, we would talk about how this is a chiastic parallelism. It's a poetic structure, and the two sentences mirror each other. We move from honor to love, and from love to fear. Fear and respect hold in high esteem. And then from fear, we're back down to honor. This is an intentional choice. In a culture where the emperor is as God, now the emperor is brought low to the same level as everyone. Honor everyone. Honor the emperor. Of course, the emperor is part of everyone. But the emperor is not to be feared as God because the emperor, too, is subject to God. As the 7th century monk Andreas writes, it is wrong to be insubordinate and disobedient to earthly authorities. Let no one say that, that we have been set free from the world because we have become citizens of heaven. Are you still insisting that we should obey earthly powers? Yes, says Peter, 
but obey them as free people, which is to say in obedience to the one who has set you free and who has commanded you to do this. Our submission to the emperor, to the state, to those in authority over us is meant to be a sign of our truer and better freedom in God and our obedience to a God who calls us to be peacemakers and ones who love their neighbors, not rebels, anarchists, and troublemakers. It is this posture of subversion obedience to authority, but only to the point that it does not contradict God's greater authority that has been the common mode of engagement for God's people in exile for a long, long time. We may remember the stories in the Bible of people like Daniel, who was taken into captivity in Babylon and became a trusted advisor to the king, being faithful to him, earning his favor, but also remaining more faithful to God. So too, we may recall Esther, who in exile in Persia became wife to King Xerxes, and having built up trust and respect, subtly leads her husband to discover the evil of his advisor and to undo his scheme. What I hope that you're hearing in all of this is the importance of honoring human authorities, that we may bring honor to Christ, whose name we bear with us, but that the way that we obey authorities must at all times be tempered by the reality that they too are subject to God, and we will remain faithful to them as a sign of God's faithfulness to this whole world. But we will remember as well our higher allegiance which may at times prevent us from honoring the emperor if our love for our brothers and sisters in the church or our fear of God, each of these, a higher calling, requires us to do otherwise. And then we come to this next area where Peter highlights, and, uh, where Peter highlights something to pay attention to for the honorable life. And this is slaves and their relationship to their masters. Slavery was commonplace in the world where this was written, and it's tragically commonplace still today, but now far more in the shadows. Rightly, we perhaps pay more attention here, having discerned together for generations God's will that none should be enslaved and living in a society where slavery is outlawed and perhaps even where freedom is our highest virtue, far higher than faith, we hear this and we become concerned about these instructions to slaves. I suspect you felt that concern as you heard the scripture reading. But once again, we must look out for subversive speech. Slaves, accept the authority of your masters. The pattern seems to hold. This seems to be the kind of speech one would expect in the Roman world and just move on from, much like honor the emperor. But there's so much more going on here because Jewish and Stoic duty codes, they did not address slaves. But Peter and other Christian writers of the time and afterwards, they do. The other moral codes tend not to make any demands on slaves and only make demands on masters. 
which perhaps seems right to us. It seems right that the powerful should be burdened and the weak should be absolved. This is how our society seems to usually function. But this is not the way that Peter works, not the way that we should operate either. Peter doesn't follow in that tradition of only addressing masters with their obligations because it is in fact patronizing and dehumanizing. It is because slaves were not considered full persons that they were given no moral responsibilities. The church did not see it this way. The weak are not the lesser. They are not unequal people. They too are called to a new life in Christ, which has with it obligations which we can resolve no, absolve no person of. Within the church, there was to be no social hierarchy. All were brothers and sisters. And while the church acknowledged that the civil world had slaves, it was the responsibility of all Christians, slave and master alike, to be slaves to Christ and to be as Christ is. Slaves are in fact elevated through all of this conversation about their suffering. They, their suffering is brought alongside and laid alongside Christ's suffering. Christ, who took the very form of a servant, is to be their role model too. And because Christ lowered himself to be the very least in this world, in so doing, he raised up those who now find themselves to be slaves, servants, and workers. This tendency to look down upon the lowly it is sad and misplaced. So the Christian tendency is always to lift them up. Do not look down on them. Lift them up instead. Peter may well have pitied the position of slaves in the society in which he wrote, but his compassion for them obligated him to lift them up to that high and hard calling, which is Christ himself. Peter writes as if he has heard the cries of those who are enslaved, their desire to use their freedom in Christ to be in other circumstances entirely, and he cautions them. It's almost as if he's saying, you're suffering. Of course you're suffering, and of course it is an unjust suffering. But so too did Christ suffer unjustly. And he did not return abuse for abuse, threats for injury. No, he trusted the one who judges justly. And his suffering was for your freedom. So now your suffering may be still for the freedom of others. I pray that not many of us have an experience of slavery but I believe that each of us has a place where we feel especially lowly, especially vulnerable, especially prone towards suffering, a place where we pity ourselves and we believe that if others were to see this part of us, they would pity us too. Perhaps they would even look down on us. I believe that we are called to use that place of weakness not to absolve ourselves of our responsibilities, but rather to be instructed once more to look to Christ, who was lowly himself, but chose difficulty 
for the sake of others, for our sakes. We are called to submit even to difficulty for the sake of our world. It is hard to honor human authority that does not seem to know that it is also subject to God. It is difficult to know freedom in Christ and yet be constrained by the state, by our employer, by those who have power over us. But how much more difficult was it for God himself to be constrained? How hard for him who made the whole world to submit himself to misguided religious leaders, to an empire of violence. But in, in enduring what he did, he exposed those who unjustly harmed him as ignorant and foolish. And he invited all the world to become exiles to such things until that time when he comes to welcome us home. We are not to go looking for trouble. We are not to martyr ourselves or imprison ourselves. We are not to seek out people who will abuse us or to feel as though everything that we endure is just and good. It is not. But if we honor the emperor, if we accept the, the authority of those who have power over us, even if they should not have such power, remembering that all people are subject to God, and if even in this circumstance we find that trouble still comes to us, then we will have lived even as Christ lived. And we may pray that even in such sorrow and difficulty, our lives may yet be used as Jesus' life was used to expose the ignorance of the foolish, the evil of this world, and to bring honor and glory to God our Maker that still others might come into his marvelous light. In, in great freedom in God, let us choose together to subvert that which continues to harm so many and to live in such a way that our lives bring honor and glory to our maker in the eyes of a watching world. Let us honor everyone, including our mayor and our premier and our prime minister, as difficult as that may sometimes seem. Let us be held in high esteem by all around us, and so also let us hold fast to the very way of Christ, such that even though we may suffer unjustly, we might bear witness to him who through great unjust suffering redeemed many people, trusting ultimately in the one who judges justly. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, these are difficult words from Peter, a difficult call for each of our lives who seek to follow Jesus. And yet we believe that even in these hard, hard truths, that you are calling us to something higher and better, something which is in fact for the good of us and for the good of our world. And so we pray that you would give us subversive imaginations, that you would make us a sent people, sent to 
hold in esteem and honor all who we meet, all who govern over us, and that we might be seen as trusted and wise and good, and having come to such a place that we might be able to speak words of change, words of hope, words which make even our country a place more like your coming kingdom. We pray this for the sake of that kingdom. Amen. We'd like to invite you to a time of quiet reflection. Maybe for those of you in the sanctuary, quiet conversation with those in your household and those of you watching at home, a time of journaling or a time of conversation on your couch. These questions for you are first, what human authorities do you struggle to accept? How might you honor these authorities while continuing to seek God's better kingdom? The second question is, how might our church better participate in doing right to silence the ignorance of the foolish? And then finally, when you suffer unjustly, how might you be challenged to better follow the example of Christ? We'll give you a couple of minutes to reflect on these things.